Hey, and welcome to Politics and Science. I'm your host, John Barkhausen. Uh, this week, we continue with another archive interview that I did with Dr. Raymond Pete. He's a physiologist who lives in Eugene, Oregon, and he's been studying health and the history of science for his entire life. Uh, he's pretty much the smartest person I've ever talked to. And today, uh, this interview was recorded in 2010 on April 26, and it concerns uh, digestion, uh, mostly human digestion, but I think it relates to all mammals as well. And it's uh, about how it works and how it affects us and the psychological and physical repercussions of good and healthy uh, digestion. So I hope you can digest some of the show, and with that, I'll let it get started. Here we go. I am pleased uh, to tell you, as the host of Politics and Science, that I have on the show again today uh, Dr. Raymond Pete. Uh, Dr. Raymond Pete has a Ph.D. in biology from the University of Oregon with specialization in physiology. He's taught at colleges including the University of Oregon, Urbana College, Montana State University, National College of Naturopathic Medicine, Universidad Cruzana, the Universidad Autónoma del Estado de México, and Blake College. In addition to his science research, bi-monthly newsletter, and other writings, some of which are available at raypeat.com, he conducts private nutritional counseling. Hopefully, Ray, are you there? Yes, hello. Oh, good. Welcome back. And I'm basing uh, our discussion today on one of your recent newsletters. Ray Pete's newsletter is available. Uh, I think you can uh, find out about it at the website, raypeat.com. They're always interesting. And this one is from January 2010, uh, entitled, Cascara Energy, Cancer, and the FDA's Laxative Abuse. And I thought I'd use it as a takeoff point to talk about digestion in general. Uh, which I don't think there's much coverage of that in the media at all, and and yet it's something we all have to do. And I thought, Ray, that perhaps you could start off by defining what you consider to be digestion in a healthy organism or a healthy human. Well, everything should should work smoothly. The um, food should be appetizing so that it stimulates the um, the whole system. Uh, Pavlov was one of the pioneers in really studying digestion scientifically and uh, the um, he he showed that the um, knowledge of the food and the, the uh, sensory quality of the food uh, completely dominates the digestive process um, and recent uh, uh, experiments show that uh, the, the taste of the food will even affect your um, blood sugar if, if you eat uh, something sweet it'll actually raise your blood sugar <laughs> even if your throat is cut uh, it, it's a nervous connection that um, tells you that you're ready to uh, start uh, using food so even if the, the food doesn't get into your blood the taste of it will start raising your blood sugar and uh, that uh, Pavlov isn't widely studied um, the um, uh, there continue to be some uh, digestive uh, experiments but 
now they're mostly uh, done by the pharmaceutical industry and such things as, as what fatigues do to digestion and so on. But um, there's a long uh, scientific uh, history of, of digestive processes, um, mostly on animals, a few on, on people. Um, Walter C. Alvarez was a famous uh, gastroenterologist who had a newspaper column, and he uh, helped uh, get some scientific information into the general culture regarding digestion. Um, but uh, there. When when did um, that happen, Ray? When was uh, Alvarez writing? Um, in the forties and fifties. Well, he he did much of his scientific work in the the twenties and thirties, but he became a popular columnist in the forties and fifties. I see. And uh, the after his time, most of the good research was done on uh, uh, animals and uh, related to agriculture mostly. But uh, some of it was just uh, a basic knowledge of of how the intestine and digestive organs work. Uh, for example, they would isolate a loop of intestine so that they could. Uh, measure the blood going in and out and then put certain foods in that little piece of intestine and watch what happens. Hmm. Um, uh, that was uh, sort of uh, getting detailed information on the, the general work that Pavlov had done showing how uh, the organs would respond to the nervous stimulation. And uh, they found, for example, working with the intestinal loops, that the more complex the food in the intestine, the more vigorously the digestive process worked. So uh, that one kind of experiment uh, shoots down a, a whole bunch of uh, uh, dogma regarding uh, food mixing or eating things in in certain combinations. The, the most complex mixture seems to be the one that digests the most efficiently. And pre-digestion has been advocated for uh, foods like proteins, but in in one experiment, uh, the um, uh, digestive enzymes were stirred with um, acid and, and some protein to be digested, and uh, just stirring it at, at body temperature uh, it didn't uh, do much digestion, but when they uh, added a piece of the uh, intestine that had been washed and, and sterilized and uh, fixed, so it was basically just a, a structural framework, adding that structural bit of intestinal tissue, uh, suddenly the protein digestion went full speed. So it isn't just the uh, enzymes in the uh, liquid that digests the proteins into amino acids, which can then be absorbed. The, the protein has to be in a certain configuration held in place by the, the surface fuzz of the intestine before the enzymes can efficiently work on it. And since it's digested in contact with the cells, then the amino acids are absorbed immediately as they're uh, liberated from the protein. 
and uh, after the age of, of one, uh, a person's uh, digestive system doesn't do very well with uh, free amino acids compared to uh, the whole protein. Um, so, so basically, uh, the um, food in the uh, close to living state uh, complex and uh, uh, structurally more or less uh, uh, just mixed by chewing is all it needs in, in preparation. And uh, mm. uh, something that a lot of people don't think about is that uh, humans don't have the enzymes for digesting uh, a lot of the plant materials such as cellulose, lignin, uh, and uh, other structural uh, materials. So that if we uh, just simply chew vegetables, uh, most of the material, unless we chew it for half an hour each bite, uh, a lot of it is going to be still uh, trapped in the uh, undigestible framework, and bacteria in the intestine can then get at it. And uh, uh, so you're supporting bacterial growth when you um, eat uh, most vegetable material, uh, depending on how fibrous it is. Hmm. So the, uh, they're always recommending we eat fiber, so I can see that uh, that could be a problem. But let's uh, before we get into uh, solutions uh, for uh, digestive problems, um, maybe you can cover what some of the basic uh, problems, causes, and stages of the different types of digestive dysfunction there are. I mean, a lot of people are allergic to things, and there's toxins. Um, there's also just, as you were talking about Pavlov and how the mind works in, in interaction with digestion. Um, there's, I know a lot of people who are stressed out and have trouble digesting when stress is high. Um, yeah, uh, the, uh, just the nervous tension will make things slow down. Adrenaline uh, will make your intestine stop moving. It's, it's an adaptive thing, so, so the uh, fight or flight reaction isn't interrupted by uh, intestinal activity. So uh, high adrenaline will not only shut down the movement of the intestine and the secretion of digestive fluids, but it even reduces the circulation to the intestine. And if it's uh, too intense, it prolonged uh, shutting off the blood supply. It, it happens more in old people, but um, the chronic exposure to adrenaline can uh, actually cause some of the intestine to die from, from lack of uh, blood circulation. And short of that, uh, prolonged stress will, by reducing the circulation, it makes the intestinal wall become uh, a poor barrier so that more toxin leaks through when you're uh, in an anxious state. If, if the anxiety is, is prolonged um, so that the, the intestine isn't getting enough blood to maintain its barrier function. I see. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, some, some types of hormonal disturbances will increase your um, 
activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, the opposite of the adrenaline side. And uh, that often goes with high histamine release. And when histamine is released, uh, serotonin is often excessive too. For example, in low thyroid people, uh, there is often an excess of all of the transmitter substances. Sometimes it goes in the direction of serotonin, sometimes adrenaline. And serotonin and uh, the parasympathetic system and histamine all excite the muscles of the intestine, cause it to uh, contract and even go into spasm. And sometimes the spasms will will shut off uh, function. But uh, more often, overactivity of that side will uh, produce diarrhea. So the, um, the type of your nervous distress can make a big difference. I see. And, you know, as our digestion gets out of balance, uh, either it tends towards constipation or diarrhea. And is one worse than the other? Or um, and, and are, the, are the remedies different? Uh, well, in constipation, uh, if it's associated with, with high adrenaline, the constipation tends to cause prolonged absorption of bacterial endotoxin. And in, in an acute case of diarrhea, things are washed through so fast that it often uh, reduces the absorption of toxins. So uh, just as a rough generality, uh, occasional diarrhea is probably somewhat therapeutic but chronic constipation for uh, thousands of years they've known that it's associated with uh, cancer and, and other diseases uh, just recently I've been seeing cases of people with uh, chronic constipation and, and bowel problems who are having strokes aneurysms and uh, abnormal clotting and uh, uh, stroke hemorrhages now known to be uh, prom- promoted by endotoxin and the in- inflammatory th- uh, responses to the endotoxin. Hmm. I know you, you've written about endotoxin quite a bit, and I've talked to some other medical people about that, and they, they've never heard of it, and uh, I find that quite remarkable. And why don't you describe how that occurs? Okay. The um, If you feed the bacteria, that's one factor that uh, you can grow a culture of bacteria that are especially harmful. If you uh, are under stress, so your intestine lets too much of that into your bloodstream, that's another uh, stage of the problem. If you don't feed your liver uh, and keep it well energized with the right amount of thyroid hormone and a good vitamin, mineral, protein supply, your liver won't be able to uh, detoxify any of the endotoxin that reaches the liver and uh, then the um, the defensive responses a little bit of endotoxin leaking in all the time keeps us in a an immunologically uh, toned up state so that uh, it can uh, be like exercise it, it gets you ready for a more intense stress mm. but if, if you're um, 
liver is letting too much of it through, then it gets you into the uh, chronic state of inflammation in um, in uh, people injured uh, in a, a serious accident. Um, often, uh, when they're taken to the hospital, all of their organs will uh, suffer: kidneys, lungs, liver. Uh, all of the major organs will uh, tend to uh, lose function. Uh, endotoxin is is the main thing that is involved in that multiple organ failure. But in the the um, where it's just a chronic process, uh, these same reactions to endotoxin, the inflammatory reactions, um, produce the uh, degenerative changes in the blood vessels, uh, in in the brain, uh, promote tumor formation uh, from chronic uh, inflammation that can't be healed and and, uh, corrected. Um, all of the degenerative diseases are the last oh, five or ten years. Uh, that's one of the very biggest areas of medical research. And uh, so there's a tremendous new increase in endotoxin and its role in degenerative diseases. So but, uh, coinciding with this, uh, the FDA has outlawed uh, all of the traditional laxatives. I see. Well, before we uh, move on to s- some of what the FDA is up to, so endotoxin is a bacteria that's always with us, but we can usually keep it under control, and it just gets out of control under s- stress situations? Uh, yeah, with, with aging and or stress, um, our liver is less able to detoxify it, and other organs have some of the detoxifying enzymes. Our brain is is uh, pretty rich in detoxification uh, systems, but the liver's the main one to be concerned about if it uh, if the intestine uh, is stressed enough that a lot of it is getting through. And um, low thyroid function is one of the things that that makes the liver very. Uh, weak at detoxifying things and uh, one of the things the liver always has to detoxify uh, endotoxin is is always there unless we're raised in a germ tree bubble mm-hmm. but um, estrogen is uh, always there too especially in women after puberty um, the liver tends to um, slow down under the influence of estrogen um, and that tends to let estrogen increasingly interact uh, harmfully with other systems so that you get some very similar effects from uh, over uh, exposure to endotoxin or to estrogen uh, they, they both activate some of the um, blood vessel leakiness and uh, inflammation mm-hmm. leading to degenerative diseases. Now, inflammation in the digestive system, first of all, what is inflammation and, and how does it affect our, our digest- digestion? Um, it, the um, first thing that happens with um, endotoxin 
and or estrogen is the uh, production of too much nitric oxide and that uh, one of the ways that that makes uh, capillaries leak is that it makes them take up too much water and one of the ways uh, these toxins uh, cause cells to take up too much water is by knocking down their oxidative metabolism um, uh, the nitric oxide uh, poisons the mitochondria so that they can't produce energy mm. very fast and uh, as the energy production goes down the cell uh, simply swells up and gets looser in structure as it fills up with water and um, so that increases the leakiness and lets more of the toxin get through and as this um, proceeds uh, it, it goes from the capillary uh, admitting more of the toxin to the surrounding connective tissue uh, taking up more and more water and the wall of the intestine as well as the wall of the blood vessel uh, on the, on the small level, the wall of the blood vessel gets thicker so that uh, it, it cuts off the delivery of oxygen and uh, it contributes to the problem. And uh, as the oxygen supply goes down, the cells produce lactic acid, and lactic acid triggers more of the inflammatory substances, and the wall of the intestine uh, takes up more and more water uh, through all of the layers of muscle, connective tissue, blood vessels, and so on, uh, until um, at an extreme state, uh, many people have seen x-rays uh, of their intestine after they've taken a, a barium meal, and um, you can see places where there are big wads of the opaque white material, and uh, other areas where there's none at all or just a little thread of it uh, going down a channel in the intestine uh, that's often caused by uh, the intestine becoming so thick that there's no space left for the movement of uh, food or liquid down the channel even the, the barium liquid uh, can't find a channel to get through and uh, so that's the, the worst kind of constipation is where the intestine uh, swells up with massive amounts of water instead of being a membrane-like uh, tough uh, muscular organ. It becomes a big, fat, heavy, sausage-like organ. Hmm. And and you're saying that swollen, watery state is, is basically a state of inflammation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the... The first, simplest remedy for that for many people is just to take some aspirin and, and Benadryl uh, to lower the, the inflammatory mediators. Um, and the reason aspirin works is that people have consumed too much of the polyunsaturated fats, which then turn into prostaglandins, which uh, are the... Um, one of the endpoints of, of causing inflammation and waterlogging. Hmm. And uh, histamine release is uh, defended against by the 
antihistamines. Uh, and so uh, to reduce the risk in the long run, it's important to uh, minimize your intake of those uh, precursors of the inflammatory prostaglandins. I see. So you, you recommend not eating unsaturated fats yeah. because of that. Um, so moving along, and uh, I mean, part of the digestive process is peristalsis, where your, uh, I guess your actual intestine has a contraction that moves down the length of it and moves food along. Yeah, uh, and if if they're um, waterlogged, the the muscles simply uh, can't contract. It's like uh, if your arm swelled up. Uh, to be two feet in diameter, you wouldn't be able to bend it. That's right. That's uh, that's a good a good point. So um, now you mentioned aspirin uh, helps a lot as an anti-inflammatory. Uh, are there other techniques? And I'm curious what the if you go to a doctor, what's the normal recommendation for say somebody coming in who's constipated? Oh, uh, they tell them to drink more water or they give them uh, 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 starch-like material that binds water and and makes the uh, stool uh, moister. Uh, That's pretty much the the standard approach to think of it as just a mechanical problem, but having having a moist stool (laughs) is nice if, if you have an intestine that can pass it along, but if it's swollen shut, that isn't going to do any good at all. Mm. And in fact, some of those things can support bacterial growth. And and so very sick people sometimes uh, just basically tend to swell up with gas when they take those instead of uh, having a laxative action. Hmm. Are there situations where peristalsis uh, stops and you can use something that would get it uh, contracting uh, again? Um, the um, sugar is one of the very effective things, sugar and salt, because uh, they lower adrenaline. And uh, if, if um, stress has stopped your intestine just because of, of adrenaline excess, uh, sugar and salt and maybe a, a little quick thyroid supplement can get it going again. Uh, hypothyroidism, uh, one of the classical symptoms is chronic constipation but uh, now that so many people are are getting uh, drugged um, there are uh, a lot of opiates that are uh, being widely prescribed that um, morphine and opium uh, everyone knows that they can uh, cause terrible constipation um, but the intestine is normally a, a very rich source of endorphins, the, the natural endogenous uh, uh, opiates. And so uh, that's one of the ways stress increases the endorphins, and the endorphins act just like uh, exogenous opiates do. They tend to stop the intestinal action. Hmm. And... Uh, so uh, several people have been proposing the 
anti-opiates uh, that have been used for many years for treating um, heroin overdoses and so on, uh, that they are seeing that they can uh, cure uh, chronic spontaneous constipation just because stress so often increases the endorphins to the point that that they get a, a morphine-like constipation. Hmm. That's that's very interesting. So, uh, in hypothyroidism as a cause of uh, digestive problems and particular particularly constipation, is the medical world uh, aware of that? Is, is there? Oh, um, they used to be fifty years ago. All doctors knew that uh, constipation. And, and dry skin and falling hair were the, the most common signs of hypothyroidism. But uh, after the Second World War, medical education changed from a, a perception to um, following instructions of the drug salesman. So uh, nowadays it doesn't occur to most doctors to uh, look at the common signs and see uh, a simple endocrine solution. Mm. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Raymond Pete, who's a, a physiologist and a, uh, has a PhD in biology, and we're talking about digestion today. You're listening to Politics and Science, and we're about halfway through. Uh, Ray, I know some people who have been uh, prescribed uh, a product, I think it's called Imodin, and it I was lent some of that once when I had uh, diarrhea, and um, I don't believe I had another movement for about three weeks after that. And I was curious if you knew what that was and uh, and how it acted. Um, no, I don't know what it is. I I think I've seen it advertised, but mm -hmm. um, it happens to um, sound sort of like the um, the good substance in some of the natural laxatives, emodin, mm -hmm. but I think the one you mentioned is spelled I-M-M. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and uh, we should probably talk about uh, emodin and, uh, and the FDA's uh, position on that at this point. Maybe you could describe sort of the history of its use and where it comes from and, and what its um, status is in terms of mainstream medical uh, practice. Um, the main traditional laxatives were um, herbs. Uh, sometimes uh, minerals were used, but like, uh, like sulfur, flowers of sulfur works as a laxative, but um, the most common were herbs. And uh, tobacco was sometimes a component of uh, laxatives, and uh, uh, that increases the uh, tone of the intestine and uh, 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 an herb, uh, Nux vomica, uh, is um, an old one that started, it contains strychnine, and that went out of the laxative world about almost 100 years ago. And the, the component that remained was uh, emodin, which is in cascara and aloe, and uh, rhubarb fruit, and uh, it, it's, it has many uh, protective effects other than uh, uh, helping uh, cure constipation. Uh, but a medical uh, 
uh, mythology that grew up uh, sometime in the 20th century was the idea that uh, these natural laxatives were stimulants. Um, but uh, if, if um, the intestine isn't swollen, uh, you can stimulate it with uh, something like histamine or um, uh, serotonin. But um, the idea was that the natural laxatives were uh, stimulating the nerves and muscles to contract. But uh, that, that was just a mistaken uh, definition of them. And the uh, other medical idea, uh, fear of stimulants, uh, uh, because of the idea that stimula stimulation was uh, going to be addictive, around the same time euphoria became a, a very bad word hmm. uh, and stimulants might cause euphoria um, incidentally a good laxative can cause euphoria but <laughs> shouldn't mention that to your doctor <laughs> but the the myth of, of um, stimulating by using a laxative uh, was what led doctors to um, advocate drinking more water and taking one of these uh, bulk-forming water-binding laxatives. And to support their recommendation, uh, they claimed that uh, the stimulating laxative would cause the colon to turn brown or black. And uh, that was supposed to uh, be proof of their harmfulness and addictiveness and so on. But... Uh, it turns out that constipation, as the uh, constant irritation, the intestine as a defensive reaction, uh, often produces a, a brown or black pigment. Hmm. And so the the idea that they were uh, the brown substance like cascara or dried aloe uh, that that became an image in most doctors' minds that it was going to cause this melanosis of the intestine but that just isn't scientifically supported so so doctors were using uh, cascara sagrada and, and aloe um, yeah that that was um, an old uh, uh, laxative called nature's remedy was for many years I guess about a hundred years uh, contained uh, just aloe and, and uh, cascara um, but the, um, about 20 years ago, uh, the cancer drug industry started doing research with some of the uh, chemicals in the, uh, the same uh, chemical family as the active ingredient of aloe and cascara. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of these was um, pretty effective at killing cancer, but it, it slightly after killing the cancer, it would kill the heart. Mm. And uh, it was a synthetic derivative of, of some of these natural compounds, uh, such as uh, anthraquinones. And, uh, An anthraquinones, you said. Yeah. Mm. And when, when this um, cancer drug was found to kill the heart, uh, that research led to um, look for 
variations that wouldn't kill the heart but would still kill the cancer. And that eventually led them to um, reinvestigate uh, all of these natural substances. And it turns out that the Emodin is a good cancer drug, even though it doesn't kill your heart. But it's a natural substance, and so they're still working on how to make a, a synthetic patentable version of it that they can sell as a cancer drug that that doesn't kill the patient. But um, because of the um, involvement of the uh, cancer industry, uh, the FDA began putting out warnings that uh, the... Um, natural substance might cause cancer because it vaguely resembles some compounds that do cause cancer. But there was never uh, research to support that. But that added to the uh, laxative addiction doctrine and uh, the uh, black intestine doctrine. And uh, the FDA used that cancer risk finally to outlaw the natural substances to be sold as laxatives. But coincidentally, as they were using that argument, uh, within a matter of weeks, they granted approval to a drug called Zelnorm, which was a synthetic that intensified the uh, serotonin effect to simply overstimulate the intestine. Uh, the FDA, uh, following all of this um, worry about uh, avoiding stimulant laxatives, they've approved a synthetic that was nothing but a very powerful stimulant hmm. simultaneously with taking off the natural laxatives. So the market was wide open for this uh, Zelnorm product to be sold at three or four dollars per tablet, hmm. and since there was a captive market for it, uh, they were making something like a billion dollars a year for several years, until uh, too, too many people started um, having their colons die or other parts of their intestine die and have to be removed. Hmm. Um, and the drug was uh, authorized for a maximum of, um, I think it was four months with a possible repetition of a four-month period. But after that, the doctors were required not to prescribe it anymore, even though the company was making so much money when patients did have to use it. But the instruction was that after the allotted four months' time, then they had to find a laxative solution. I see. So the, the FDA uh, knew that there was no permanent uh, good laxative solution and that it was, in Europe, it was outlawed because it killed people's intestines. But the FDA let them go for about five years, making their billions, and then outlawed it, but gave them a period of several months to use it as an investigational new drug, simply a way to um, let them keep it on the market 
uh, and uh, uh, re-educate the doctors and uh, uh, sort of get out of it saving some face. Mm. From the way you describe that, I think listeners can tell that uh, you feel that the FDA is a captured uh, agency basically working hand in hand. It would be interesting to uh, see how rich the people in the FDA got after that episode. Mm. Uh, traditionally, that that's what happens. The the people involved in in approving uh, bad drugs very often wind up very rich. I think we've all seen that, where uh, or heard about it, where people working for the drug industry. Uh, rotate out of their drug industry job into regulatory agency jobs, and then when that's finished and they've uh, done their job there, they move back into the drug industry again. Um, not a, not a very healthy practice for uh, running a uh, government serving the public good. Yeah, the, um, the 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 FDA's involvement in these chemicals goes back much farther than just the laxative issue um, because this family of chemical um, the quinones uh, was found a hundred years ago to um, be protective well uh, the herbal uh, medical people uh, have used it for hundreds of years but uh, scientists a uh, hundred years ago started getting interested in the cellular effects of, of substances such as emodin from aloe and cascara. And uh, many uh, colored uh, plant substances uh, contain analogous materials. Um, but uh, W.F. Koch uh, was experimenting with the uh, anti-cancer effects of these materials as early as uh, the 19-teens and uh, set up a clinic using them in the 1920s. And uh, the FDA, uh, by the 1940s, were determined to shut him down. And uh, uh, the, that, that story of his trials and the FDA involvement is a good introduction to the politics of science for anyone who wants to uh, read about it. Um, there were two trials, but um, he he won both trials because so many of his patients were there to testify, and he had the evidence that they had been cured of their cancers. But uh, he moved to Brazil so he would be uh, less persecuted by the FDA. Mm. And he, and he was producing uh, variations on the quinones. How did you say that? Uh, yeah, the quinones. 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 Um, and the FDA's response was that uh, quinones are toxic. And there's he, he demonstrated in court putting a certain amount of, of uh, a simple quinone into water and then diluting it to the strength that he had adjusted that he injected into patients and the FDA uh, said there's there's none in there but the, the jury had seen him put it in and dilute it but the FDA's instruments weren't good enough to uh, detect it and so they said there's none there it can't, it can't have been what cured the patient mm -hmm. and uh, they said but if there was any there it would 
be toxic because quinones are toxic. But uh, about eight years after his second trial, uh, ubiquinone or coenzyme Q10 was discovered and and uh, found to work exactly as Koch had described the function of the um, quinones that he was using and extracting from plants and such hmm. uh, as um, stimulating mitochondrial oxidative metabolism uh, with all of its anti-inflammatory, anti-allergic, uh, anti-spasmodic, uh, anti-cancer pro-differentiating uh, anti-infective effects. So he, he, his treatment was basically just helping your cells go back to a healthy state where they're... Yeah. That's and um, the, the fame, his, he wasn't allowed to publish in any English language medical journal after about 19... I think 1914 or 1917 was his last publication in in an English journal, but in in European and South American journals he became famous. And Albert St. Georgie, who came to the U.S. a couple of years after Koch's world-famous uh, win against the FDA, uh, St. Georgie was researching exactly the same uh, electronic oxidative systems in the cell uh, that uh, in, when he was working in Europe uh, that was uh, the basis for his Nobel Prize, uh, much of it besides the vitamin C uh, vitamin C was sort of incidental to working on the mm -hmm. cellular energy metabolism but uh, St. George never mentioned the name Coke because if he had he would have uh, gotten the same treatment from the the FDA uh, by associating himself with with Coke, who had been so thoroughly persecuted. But um, throughout his life, uh, Saint Georgie kept following the um, the Coke uh, approach to uh, how cell oxidative processes are essentially uh, they're in this essential part of the life process and so are the um, proper place to focus in treating uh, diseases of um, uh, muscle nerve function, cancer uh, growth functions and um, basically all biological processes. Hmm. So the emodin you were speaking of that was used as a uh, laxative uh, over the as a traditional medicine um, and that was Actually, doctors could prescribe that up until when was the Zell norm? When did that come out? Uh, uh, 2002. So, in, and at this point, doctors aren't allowed to prescribe oh, Emodin? I, I think they can prescribe it, but it can't be uh, sold as a laxative. They can just prescribe it as a substance. I see, as, as a food supplement or such. Yeah. I see. So, and... Um, where does it come from, Ray? I don't think anybody knows that. Oh, uh, well, the um, uh, rhubarb root and the aloe leaf uh, contain variations of the molecule, but the um, cascara bark uh, all across um, North America and uh, I guess similar latitudes 
around the world. It's a, a very common plant, and uh, they just strip the bark off, and uh, in its fresh state, uh, the bark will cause um, uh, stimulation of the intestinal muscles and cramping and and uh, uh, discomfort. So traditionally, it was never used in its fresh state. Hmm. And uh, aging it for at least a year, the bark turns black, uh, just like the color of bitter chocolate. And in that state, the uh, soapy quality of the molecule has broken down. The uh, the glucose uh, part has been removed so that it's an oil-soluble molecule. And in that state, it, it isn't an intestinal stimulant. It's a... Uh, uh, an anti-inflammatory, somewhat slightly sedative, uh, energy-increasing uh, substance hmm. uh, decreases um, many of the uh, chemical processes involved in cancer and uh, uh, many stress conditions. Uh, just recently, uh, malaria was found to be toxic by um, uh, Activating a process that's essential to cancer, and so um, it could be that Imodin will will turn out to be tried as a treatment for for many other diseases other than cancer and and uh, constipation. So it's interesting. At the same time, they're banning that. That there, other other sections of science are starting to do some serious research on its efficacy. Yeah, the um, the cancer uh, industry is. It, I suspect that they'll uh, resort to using the uh, the natural drug as an additive uh, support for one of their patented drugs. Uh, they've done that with several other substances, for example, uh, adding uh, caffeine to. Uh, some of their cancer therapies and uh, simple natural substances that in themselves have an anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer effect. It, it turns out that it makes their cancer drug uh, more, more effective and less harmful. Hmm. So you're saying they, they patent something just so that they have the rights to it and then they add the actually uh, effective natural substance that they can't patent to it to make their patented thing effective. Yeah, that, that has become uh, fairly common in the cancer drug industry. Huh. That's, uh, and and can you, ex- I don't, maybe it's too much uh, to ask at this point, we only have about seven minutes left, but how does the emodin work? What does it, it just basically gets your cells to be producing energy the way they're supposed to be again?
and cause the protein's electronic uh, behavior to change. Um, the, um, the respiratory chain in, in the mitochondria is, in a way, tuned up by the small molecules that are associated with it. Uh, coenzyme Q10 uh, helps it to uh, take in uh, energy uh, without producing uh, destructive uh, oxidative reactions. And uh, vitamin K, which is uh, a quinone uh, analogous to emodin and the other the anti-cancer and laxative substances, vitamin K uh, increases the effectiveness of coenzyme Q10. And um, the, there's an overlap with all of these natural regulatory substances uh, that can only be explained as a, a sort of tuning up of the whole cell system. Uh, the, um, the, the quickest way to get at it probably is to look at St. George's last two or three books where he's talking about the uh, uh, various substances that uh, act on DNA and proteins as, as a system, increasing the coherence of the cell electronically. Uh, and I don't think that these uh, substances will be understood, or, or cancer, or even hormone actions, I don't think will be understood unless the coherence of the cell's electronic system is taken into account so that the um, cytoplasm and its uh, constant movement and the, um, the um, nucleic acids and their responsiveness to these uh, processes in the cytoplasm are integrated with what's happening in the mitochondrion. So it, it isn't like a lock and key where the uh, coenzyme Q10 or the uh, quinone is um, just activating a single enzyme. I think it's that they act in many places in a coordinated way uh, with the natural uh, efficient structure uh, functioning of the cell. Hmm. And I think you said in your newsletter that the uh, approach of uh, Coke and Zint Georgie uh, is in contrast to, which is basically making your body healthier and able to uh, deactivate toxins, is in contrast to the uh, what became sort of the mainstream medical approach, which was uh, trying to target um, uh, cancer cells and, uh, you know, basically a, a war mentality. Yeah, I, I see that as uh, something that has gone on ever since um, uh, the um, divide in how the immune system is seen to function. Metchnikoff saw the immune system as a, a developmental uh, process of the whole organism, not just something aimed at killing germs, but the drug industry wanted uh, to think of of their product as a germ-killing uh, analog to the immune system. So they they shut down the Metchnikoff approach and went to the uh, 
kill the enemy approach. And that drug industry motivated uh, attack against bacteria uh, immediately went over to the approach towards cancer as identifying the cancer as an alien uh, mutant rather than as a, a dysregulation of a natural process. So instead of energizing the system to normalize the process of tumor development, uh, the whole industry is focused on having to kill the cancer as an alien. Hmm. And going back to digestion, if people, in just the minute we have left, if people are, I think you've touched on much of this, but if people are hoping to improve their digestion, uh, natural food substances that they might use? Um, well, uh, raw carrots, by having a germicidal effect on the bacteria, um, can be very helpful until you get your hormones working. Uh, a good thyroid and uh, uh, steroid hormone system will make your intestine have the energy to um, control the flora on its own. But in the meantime, a daily raw carrot uh, helps to keep down the uh, endotoxin absorption. And when they're available, uh, cooked bamboo shoots are, are another uh, good intestine uh, So those are good. Those are the fibers you would recommend. Yeah, uh, because the um, the grain fibers turned out to um, cause bowel cancer in in several uh, research settings. Hmm. And uh, keeping your general nutrition up with adequate protein is the other uh, main thing to, to make your digestion work. So eating uh, milk, cheese, and orange juice along with with one of those. Uh, protective disinfecting fibers uh, will take care of, of most of the bowel problems. Uh, I'm afraid the, we, um, we are out of time, Ray, um, so we'll have to cover some of that later. But uh, thank you so much for being on today. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, very good. Okay, Bye. yeah, goodbye. And you've been listening to Politics and Science with your host, John Barkhausen, and my guest today was Dr. Raymond Pete. You can find out more about him at raypeat.com. That's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T. And you can find out a lot of his information by reading 70 or 90 articles he has posted at his website, raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. All right, hope you enjoyed the show. Sorry about the bad sound quality, but I hope it was still digestible. I've been your host, John Barkhausen, and please tune in again next week for another edition of Politics and Science.